with Sherilyn and Algie and I met Sherilyn in a queue a couple of Saturdays ago and we were both auditioning for the BBC Nottingham radio show which was an experience in itself. I mentioned I wanted to talk about Nottingham and knife crime, local issues and bringing in local musicians to the show and Sherilyn mentioned that she ran an organisation in Nottingham which did exactly that about knife crime. I mean, how the universe works. I mean, how did we manage to be standing next to each other out of the 400 people there? But I pledged and said I wanted to get them on call and talk about issues which really do bother me and talk about how things are topic of the moment alongside all the fakery. But first, Sherilyn, welcome to the show. Algie also, I know you're there. Thank you for being part of this special feature. Sherilyn, can you start by telling us where you grew up and just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yep, um, I grew up in a small village called Summercoat, it's in Alfreton. Nothing really happened there. Um, you just spent your days building tree houses, playing Kirby, making rope swings. Sometimes, if you're feeling really brave, you would swim in a, a pond called Pioneer Pond and just hope that you didn't actually die. <laughs> I moved to Nottingham when I was about 15 and it's just been my mum ever since that really. So the transition from village life to city life is a bit yeah it's different it's funny you talk about small villages because we used to do the same in Twinning near Chichbury where I grew up and you're always close to death swimming in local rivers Um, I mean Algie whereabouts are you from where did you grow up I'm I'm from originally, I was born in the Heights and Green. I moved to St. Anne's Young with my parents' dad. Um, yeah. I grew up with gangs and on the other side of the path. Yeah. So my life kind of started a bit different. By 15, I was serving a jail sentence. Yeah. And, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a young age, isn't it? Young age. Yeah. Mm. I mean, Sherilyn, can you tell us about your, your dad and your mum and the switch from village life to city life? Yeah, so my dad was a drug addict. He probably still is. I saw him maybe once a month when I was when I was about five, when I used to visit my grandparents' house. He never really played an active role in my life. He was basically just irrelevant. Mm. Um, visit, mm. village, village was quiet. Everyone knew your business before you did. We moved to the city when I was in the last year of secondary school as my mum had landed a job as a teacher. Mm. Plus, she wanted to have more opportunities and better schooling for myself. City life was busy. I didn't really like it at first. The people were different and they spoke differently. It was a hard time. I just really wanted to be back with the people I knew. Um, I left home when I was 16, spent my teenage years raving, staying out to the next day, getting back in, going back out the next afternoon. Then I met my son's dad together for 10 years and then had my own son at the age of 28. Life was great, good job, we was happy, everything was nice, contempt, especially when you come from a split, uh, when you split up from somebody for a long period of time. But I was in a good place. Mm. But then in 2015, my mum was murdered, she was punched, strangled, and she was finally stabbed to death 13 times by her ex boyfriend, James McCarthy. I mean, obviously talking about this is extremely painful. Um, I mean, people live such sheltered lives and sometimes this kind of violence is something they'd only encounter watching the TV. I mean, but it's had a profound effect on your mental health, isn't it? Yeah, it's, 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 it's
Yeah. Um, I sat there once and I said to my liaison officer that this only happens on the TV. You read about this daily. You don't really expect it to happen to you. Losing my mum, obviously, it hit me mentally, physically and emotionally, but I wasn't aware of it, if that makes sense. Mm. But it obviously had a detrimental effect on me, which came over time. Mm. I, I just, all I did was just, I went to work, I raised my son. I, it was only at night that it would hit me. So it was weird. So the silence is was the biggest killer because you're alone with your thoughts. Mm. Um, but I did try and take my own life unfortunately 17 times and I did obviously clearly failed yeah. um, but I couldn't bear the thought of living alone in this world without my mom. Mm. a contributing factor to these suicide attempts was the images you see throughout the trial and when I was told it took her six hours to die you know you find yourself visually seeing her laying there and mm. thinking of all the things she would be thinking so that was really is what was killing me was mm. just is just that thought i was diagnosed with SIDS, severe depression and ptsd so for people um, that don't know what ptsd is post-traumatic stress disorder isn't yeah. it and 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 that's a it's a mental health condition um yeah. and obviously like people don't what you're talking about there which some people won't understand again it comes back to people that haven't been in contact with anything like this other than tv or people that haven't been in contact with anybody like yourself to be able to talk about it is that it's like a ripple effect and you don't realize it's happening to, to you until it's kind of too late and you're here yeah so it's just like you say you don't know it's happening so you actually absolutely think that you're fine yeah i think you come to a breaking point when you actually think oh my god because you've took the weight of the world upon you mm. and then all of a sudden it just comes crashing down and then you've just lost it that's mm. that's obviously what happened to me just by through suicide because it just got too much mm. every every that was just too much for me because I just couldn't. Did you find as well that sometimes that you didn't know right from wrong? I mean, I found sitting there, I didn't. I questioned myself all the time. I was like, am I thinking normally? Am I not thinking normally? Am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? I mean, because it, it led on to a path of crying for yourself, didn't it? Yeah, which was is totally out of character, and that's that's why obviously like what you just said earlier. You don't know what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. But in a sense. I probably did, but you would. I was just too far gone. Nobody, yeah. basically, nobody could save me. I couldn't save myself. Mm. So I just needed to suppress my feelings a little bit more, mm. and that's how I dealt with it. So I took to crime because it was a distraction for me, a bad distraction, but a distraction from what I was going through. I mean, talking about Algie, how how did you two meet? I mean, Algie, how did you get in touch with Sherilyn? How how, how did you two meet? Um, we was on a course together. Uh, we started, well, we started a course together, doing mentoring. Uh-huh. And um, then, then we got thrown into a talk at a um, university together, which was the worst talk I've ever been to. But, um, <laughs> 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 it really was, wasn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and from them, we've got things in common, and we kind of just clicked, innit? And, started talking about what we're dealing with we started talking about it from peer mentoring really yeah. and from then we've just moved forward together to tell the truth Algie, like your story is obviously as tragic and as heartbreaking as what Sherilyn's gone through. You've both been di- through different things, but on different levels. I mean, you lost your parents 
both of your parents, haven't you? I mean, do you want to just talk about that and tell us about what happened? Well, um, basically, my mum, I lived with my mum and my dad when I was a kid. Yeah. And um, my dad, my mum went through a lot of domestic violence from my dad, mm-hmm. um, which I've seen, I've watched it all, tell the truth. And through that is um, how I lost my mum. She um, died giving birth to my little sister. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that, I think it turned me a lot against a lot of people. And then a year later, I lost my dad. The year to the day of losing my mum. Mm-hmm. So the, the day she died, he, he got hit by a um, drunk driver. A year later. How old um, were you? I, honestly, I was five when my mum died. Yeah. Um, six when my dad died. Yeah. So um, I grew up without parents. So I grew up without proper role models like I've, all my friends went to places like fishing and things like that I never done none of that yeah. you, know, you know the little thing what you do with your mum and dad I just didn't have none of that as a kid so were you in foster I care? I kind of pushed myself did you go yeah. to foster care? Went yeah foster care um, I lived with foster parents and I went into um, care homes as well yeah I mean so, care yeah. homes care homes are a different kettle of fish aren't they I mean foster parents are one thing and um, for people that don't know, you're in a foster family. And I think I was talking to somebody about this the other day, is that you're talking about not going fishing and not doing normal things as a kid. And you'd think, oh, you'd be in foster care. These people look after you. But then you have respite. Yeah. You have respite. And respite at Christmas time where they say, oh, no, yeah. they want time with their family. So you then go to a different foster home, don't you? So however much yeah. you want to be part of their family, you're kind of reminded all the time that you're not aren't you you're not yeah yeah, yeah you are yeah and police yeah. check do you take 8 weeks 10 weeks 16 weeks and who gives you a birthday invite 16 weeks in advance it just yeah. doesn't happen so you, you never make, get to go you never yeah. get to go so it's like people well, don't realise that however you know however much of a brilliant foster parent however much they try hard they're not your mum and dad and, um, yeah, exactly. And no one can replace your mum and dad. No. And that's the thing for me it was a massive thing. Like, I think a lot of people who are in foster care, they have their parents as well, so they're always still there. Yeah. Well, for me, when I did first go into foster care, and that was with a family member. Mm. But even then, going into that, knowing that my parents weren't there, um, it didn't make me want to be close to the foster care then. Mm. So that made it harder for the foster care themselves to care for me because I wouldn't let no one care yeah. for me then, if that makes sense. Because you put so, up a brick wall, don't you? Yeah. And I found, when I was a kid, I don't know about you, but I found, when I put up a brick wall because it was like, well, I'm going to get hurt, you're going to hurt me, I'm going to go to the next foster yeah. parent, so I might as well just, you might as well just give up now. It was almost like I'd walk through the door, I'd been there five minutes, and I was screaming and shouting at them, almost because the sooner they rejected me, me the sooner that they said, the better. the better, because then I could kind of go, yeah, well, I was right, moving on yeah yeah it justifies your own actions don't it yeah that's why it was yeah i found you know, it that, yeah, yeah and it was then, the same for me man yeah. i didn't let no one love me yeah i wasn't allowing people to no. love me yeah i think i don't know do you want to just talk about how you felt about yourself um i don't know in, in a way i just hated people around me i didn't accept nobody yeah. especially if there was elders i could only accept my own peers mm. as a young when i was younger I didn't take them to me, so I trust my peers, but anyone older than me, family members, even just friends who were older than me, I couldn't accept them, I couldn't trust them, because I always believed that you'd leave, you'd just go disappear, gone. Because that's how I seen it as a child, my mum and dad were just gone. Yeah. So, living like that, and I lived like that for years, till I was about 14, 15, yeah. 
to my first jail sentence and then it just became a part of my life the way I was acting but rather than trying to find a way out it just became a part of who I was yeah. so I couldn't get out of it I mean you, you talked to me and you you said you spent eight months in Drake Hall I mean for those again some people have probably never been inside a prison again it's something they've just seen on TV but can you explain you know your experience about that and, and what it's like um, it's going to sound weird but I needed to go to prison I needed to be punished because I was punishing myself with suicide with my mental health everything I needed to be punished and my yeah. barrister said to me and my psychiatrist said to me Sherilyn stop punishing yourself somebody else needs to punish you for obviously the crime that you've that you've done. So in a way, when I went to when I went when I was sentenced, I was so relieved. I was mm. so so relieved because I was being punished finally. Somebody was hearing my cries. Mm. But you know, prison is it is what it is. It's not orange is the new black. It's not it's nothing like that. I met a really good bunch of girls from from all different sides of, of crime and and they were just amazing women they were so strong and they were just so inspiring and some of them you just looked at your own life and thought i have got a life outside and i I feel blessed to have my son and my friends out there because some of these women inside they had nothing and that is their life and that's really 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 sad but i rehabilitated in there i found myself again and i was I was I was thankful. I was given the opportunity because without that, I wouldn't be here today. Do you think if people could listen to just this short story of yours, and maybe look at people who are in prison and maybe think, you know what, like yeah, you've made wrong decisions, you've made bad choices, but there's a reason for why that's happened. That that would help people come together as communities and understand each other a bit more. Yeah, I think they just need to pay attention. Sherilyn, Sherilyn touched on it earlier. Uh, says when she was in that situation, yeah. it's like no one could see that she was screaming for help. Yeah. You get me? And it was the same for me as a child. Even though I was pushing people away, I was actually screaming for help. Yeah. And no one could actually see it. But if people were paying attention to me as it would have been, as, if, as my parents would have, then they would have been able to maybe stop that, maybe yeah. prevent me going into the life I went into. Yeah. Because no one paid attention to them screams, I was stuck. So I think you should paying attention to them and listening to them, them screams for help yeah. and being there to help them and support. Yeah. That's the biggest thing, I think. A lot of people haven't got the support they need. No. Well, what you're doing now and what you're doing, Sherilyn, as well, with United Impact is brilliant. And obviously both of you are going into the communities and doing the work that's needed. So I think that's the way forward. Yeah, it definitely is. Now, looking at both of you two and you've come out of prison and you're both strong loving kind helpful people i mean you're both now putting yourself into a position to you know deliver speeches and and help to other people i mean is that because you want to or because prisons rehabilitated you or is it because deep down there's just good in you that you want to help other people i think it's more about helping people ourselves not about prison didn't rehabilitate me i've been in prison three times yeah Uh, what rehabilitated me was a letter from my daughter and all it was was on four lines and I remember it to this day. All it said was, hello dad, um, I seen you for ages. Last time I seen you was at McDonald's. Then went to the park, rolling down the hill with JR, who's a little sister. Can we do that again please soon? 
with both of you having children if I go to Sherilyn first I mean Sherilyn how important do you think it is that a stable family life is for kids growing up I think it's it could be I don't know because it's it's hard it's hard to say you know my mum was she raised me single handedly I'm raising my son single handedly and he had a stable he had a stable upbringing to Mm. the age of two and then it obviously all went it all went wrong the inconsistency the no routine one dad there one minute dad there not mama there one minute mama mama there not mum there one minute mama and mum obviously not there the next and that has had a knock-on effect on his behavior you know he's just he's just been diagnosed like he's under emotional development behavior so he's emotionally that of a two to three year old rather than a five year old Mm. and he's only five so all I can say now is what has happened for these past five years it's not been stable and this is the outcome of it now but who's to say in when he's 25 or when he's 15 that you know he's back on track so I don't know like I say we came from a stable upbringing but look what happened to my mum you know it's you see it in two different ways in that's that's how it is really do you think it's a lack of services you know like that time that had happened do you think there was more victim support for when your mum got stabbed to death do you think if you'd had some more psychological help and psychological support at that time you know maybe some you know uh, they do cognitive brain therapy or something if you'd had something at that time to talk through do you think that might have helped or do you just think it was just one of those things that was going to happen well to to be honest through the eight months that this was this carried on for for the trial and everything and the preparation for the trial you have so much support your liaison officers here every single day you've got police you've got the chief inspector you've got a victim victim liaison officer you've got a family liaison officer you've got victim support you've got so many services it's when when that judge smashes that hammer and that Mm. sentence is passed you don't you don't have nothing and that's where that's where they failed me because you then start your own life sentence because you've had all of this support emotionally physically and all of a sudden it's gone so you get lost because you don't actually physically know what to do yeah. you're alone again yeah i mean for you algae talking about you going back to prison and again and again sometimes i feel like the, the kids that i know that have gone back to prison it's because like all they all they know is a life of crime all they know is how to be a gangster all they know is how to be that rude boy and going back to prison is just kind of like again a little bit of a trophy symbolism thing was it what was the reason do you think for you going back to prison me going back to prison i think in a way was punishment to myself because i kept committing crimes what i know i'd get caught for yeah um i think the younger some of them do it for it's a symbolised thing, but um, a lot of them just do it could go to jail, could get caught. Yeah. People see it, people think they do it for reputation, but no one wants to go to jail. There's not a person out there who wants to be in there. Yeah. Um, 
maybe a few, but they're the institutionalized type who are in there for years. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't see. I wouldn't say it that way. I'd say it's more the life the court opens sends them to jail. Yeah, they can't necessarily the see it. They can't necessarily see it though, but that what's going on around them. So how would you say that changing people's lives and making changes to these children's lives? I mean, what did you do? What are you doing? What can we do? It's about letting people who who were involved in that life before talk to these people and be involved in rehabilitating them because they're not doing that. The organisations that are involved now. It's just people who don't know nothing about these kids and anything about their past or their lives. Yeah. They haven't got nothing in common with them. Yeah. So for them to help them, it's, it's not possible. They don't even want to sit down and listen to them kind of people. Mm. I didn't when I was that age. I, would, I didn't want to listen to no one who wasn't from my side of life. Mm. So that's what they need. They need people who have changed themselves because the ones who have changed themselves have changed themselves for their own reasons and it hasn't been the system what's changed them. Yeah. So that's what the children need to see that they've got that within themselves to change them. Mm. You know I mean? They need to be known that, just shown that, really. Uh, and for you, Shevelyn, I mean, again, the same question like to you. You're making changes to people's lives. I mean, what do you think it is that needs to be done and what are you doing now? Just the exactly what Algie just said we spend so much time going to these meetings these events and even from my own experience of obviously what happened to my mum I don't if I'm going to the doctor and I'm telling them I'm crying out for help but you want to give me tablets because that's that's your answer or you want to pass me a leaflet oh I need to go speak to a counsellor why am I going to phone somebody who hasn't got the foggiest of what I am going through or how I'm feeling so how am I supposed to get answers from some somebody who's earning 10 pounds an hour just to pick up the phone and go yeah it'll get better <laughs> that, that just doesn't work no. and this is this is what I found that yeah. even in my search to this day there is nobody that is teaching these people yeah. on what real life it's all textbook warriors yeah. they, they don't want to hear what we've got to say even yeah. from an ex-offender's point of view they don't want to hear it they just they don't even want to hear our success stories mm. so so for us you're always going to be tarnished with that but it's like Algie said you know if you go into a school and you stick oh you speak the MP and you speak the chief inspector in front of him and they're all talking like this is what prison's like da 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 you're going to get that 14 year old who's going to go you alright bro where are you from because you don't know nothing about what's going on in my area because where do you live where did you go to school what degree did you get to, to stand here to say that they're not going to respond to that so they're going to respond to people like myself and Algie who have been through something so detrimental so tragic that they're going to look at us in a different way because they all look at you that particular way like what's she going to say what's he going to say and then when you tell your story they're like oh okay they relax then because they were talking from real life because we're real people and we exist you get all these 800 people that are being stabbed and murdered over across Nottingham not one of these people are stepping forward to say let me take let me take charge let me take charge of this well they are because you're stepping forward aren't you now you're saying I'm going to take charge of this you and Algie you've uh, decided to take it upon yourselves to make a change and you've set up United Impact so tell us about United Impact so it was just it was just one of them things where what I'd experienced there was nothing there support groups 
they've got no support groups for people who are victims of manslaughter and murder. Mm. Oh, but we've got we've got support groups for Alcoholics Anonymous or drug addicts. Okay, so where am I going now? Where am I going to go for support? I need support mentally, physically. So I was really, really surprised when I was doing my research. Oh, we don't have this. For a city that we live in, for the amount of people that are attacked every single day mm. or or for suicide every 40 seconds, mm. there is nothing. There's it, still nothing now. And there's also, so, a, there's a statistic now that like every 14 minutes in England and Wales, every 14 minutes there's a knife crime. I mean, that is a staggering amount of violence that's in the UK like I know we're talking about Nottingham but across the UK so if a big city like Nottingham hasn't got a support group for knife crime then surely something's wrong isn't it yeah but they but these people don't want to hear that they want to go oh here's an organisation look what they're doing but yeah. what about the people what about these where where are, where, are, where am I and where are the people before me and after me because there's nowhere for us to go so this is why I set it up because I wanted somebody so Somewhere for people to go that would say, you know what, she's been through it, he's been through it, I'm going to go talk to these people because I'm not feeling too good at the moment and I do not know where my feelings are going to take me. Yeah, and there's no worse feeling to feel alone. I felt alone, so, so alone. So I imagine that there's going to be so many more people out there before me and after me. You've done a lot of debates together, haven't you? I mean, both of you have... Both of you have like been. Well, you were on TV recently, when you? Channel 5. Oh, tell, tell us about yeah. that one. Oh, is that, do you want to talk about that one? No swearing. <laughs> no swearing. <laughs> oh, my, my God. That was a joke. It was a joke. So it's Channel 5. <laughs> it is about. Uh, tell us about what it's supposed to do, what the programme's supposed to do. Alright, this is a programme supposed to find a solution. It's supposed to help find a solution to um, knife crime and to solve it or to help it's supposed to help the youngest but I don't even know like, to tell the truth the real answer to that is I do not know what that program is supposed to do yeah. it was about it was about cans of diet coke full fat coke <laughs> chocolate brownies and <laughs> So what happened then? So you got on the show and um, you you were invited to go. They, they pay your train fare. You get down there. Tell us what happened. We didn't even go first class, girl. No first class. No. I won't be having that show then. <laughs> so they invited you on and you got there and, and and it was scripted, right? I mean, I thought this was supposed to be a live debate. Wow. No, no. When we got there. We got put into, some people got put into a green room. I, I reckon they got some in-depth briefing because the people who got into the room with us, which I just assumed was the public room, <laughs> <laughs> we just got drawn into the public booth at the side and we got, we got briefed. That's what happened. Whoever was going to speak got briefed. We also got an email. This is how, how scripted it was. We received an email telling us not to wear bright colours or patterns. And many of you listeners probably watch this show yet and they'll see people in bright colours and patterns and they'll notice that the people in bright colours and patterns spoke. That's how scripted it is. Wow. Do you know what that's really interesting about talking about scripted things and and, and things being fake? I mean, another thing that when I was in the queue with you outside BBC Not On Radio is that 
we were talking about how people are fake and people in the community and how TV in general and a lot of music is all an illusion and it's not actually real. There's not anything real going on at the moment. I mean, what are your experiences of like fakery? I mean, let's talk about that. You know what it is, right? When I first stepped out of my little circle, I was like, yeah, boy, I've got this. <laughs> and then I met these these people. I won't, I won't spat names because it's slammed on, but, you know, it is what it is. And I said that in these meetings and you get certain people like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. You lot all take the money, blah, blah, blah. There's nothing, there's nothing going back into the system. You all take the money. Like, there's no prevention. Still, da, 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 da. So... And then you move in a different circle, and that same person that was preaching is the same person that is not interested in your story. Mm. See, people like me and myself and Algie and anybody else who steps into the limelight because they've got a story to tell. Yeah, I get that. We've all got a story to tell. But if you're going to make that story, then make it worthwhile. Like, your passion must drive that, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, you add an insult. You add an insult to myself, and if you get involved in, in my stuff, them, I feel like you need to be know what my story is. That me and Algie be spins one man. You don't you don't care about our story. You don't care about where we came from. All he cares about is when he goes to his funding for next year. He's like, oh lot, I gave back to ex offenders. Oh lot, I gave these victims a job. Oh, this is what I'm doing. You're not doing nothing. You're taking the money. You're trying to take the credit for the stuff that we did. Yeah, that's, that's it. exactly what you're doing. Mm. I mean, coming down to the root cause of his problems, that man's bad-minded. Man I know you can't say his name, but but the other thing is as well is that if we go back to the root cause of the problem, it, it is down to bad-mindedness generally. I mean, that guy's bad-minded, so he's not doing any of that because deep down his root cause is bad, so he's not doing anything good for the community. But if music or TV isn't the problem... I mean, is it parenting? Is it social economics in terms of lack of funding, youth centres, or is it lack of services for young people? I mean, who's to blame? What's the problem? See, when we did the Channel 5 thing, right, after their scripted solutions, their main awareness and they, what they put main with cause. The main cause, the main, main cause was parents. Now, let me just yep. ask you this bit, right? So, in that whole entire room, you were selected, so you were pre-selected. You were pre-selected where to sit. How can you put people in the room, one, who aren't a victim's family, who aren't a perpetrator's family, so then they can't answer that question? Mm. So when Alice just do it's like, it's the parents' fault, nobody's going to argue that because the people aren't here. Yeah. But then you think, oh, hang on a minute, I took to crime, but I don't blame my mum. I blame the system who failed me, mm. who failed me along the way. So it was very interesting mm. to see that nobody was a perpetrator's family, mother or daughter or anybody in that room. So that's how you know it was scripted and it, it was just a load of BS, because mm. it was. I mean, how are we going to have positive role models in society then? Obviously, the situations that you guys have been in it might put people off. I mean, yes, it's all very well saying, let's get people who have been through prison, let's get people who have had, you know, crimes, but you you are going to get people in their high horses, in their high, you know, rooms saying, oh, no, we don't want people like that talking to our children. You know, you will get that. You will get that. So is there any point in that? Do you think there's a solution to those problems? There's a massive point. I think I could 
business to them people and say, well, I'm as good as you, I run a business just like you do. I own my own business just like you do. And what would you I say to from. them? What would you say to them about with about people that, who have been in prison or have got a criminal record? H- how would you attack that criticism? The only way I could attack it is that they haven't lived it. They've never, they never would live it. They wouldn't take themselves away from their cushy life and go down to these areas and take even a look for a day and drive through and look at and talk to the people who are down there. They've got to go and experience it or even talk to somebody who experienced it. Until they do, they've got no right to judge anyone. Mm. And I think they're too quick to judge people. Mm. That's the thing. They need to stop judging people and start learning and just just learning. You take knowledge from somebody and you'll learn a lot, man. That's mm. what I think. You've mm. got to learn from people. Because they don't let ex-offenders into schools and this is what the major problem is. Right. We got into Trent University on a win because yep. they were doing an out out of term um, knife awareness course mm. that's how we get in so ex-offenders are not allowed into schools yeah. we can't get into schools to teach them so it's like a brick wall so how can we teach and educate them if you're not allowed in hence why they send in life coaches mm. or MPs or you get your chief inspector you know running these little things like to do to do like oh look I'm going to put up a little prison cell in your in the classroom for you get a little taste of it and this is how it happens just really jars me things like that because Mr MP when was the last time you stepped foot into Ramby or into Nottingham prison because if you stepped into Nottingham prison you'd know that that was was a condemned building and shouldn't even be fit for purpose mm-hmm. so it's failing but the report is failing isn't it massively yeah. Yeah. So what is the solution? What's the solution to the problems surrounding knife crime? I mean, is it more stop and searches or is it more youth work, educating the kids? What's the solution to the problem that we're having at the moment? Well, stop and search is a joke. Mm. Um, but can I just say, you know, for this school, and they've had all of this all of these cuts, right? You've had all of these cuts. So you've lost everything. So you've lost your, your counsellors, you've lost your school nurses, everything like that. Mm. But... They want to try and give it back to education and say this is where education's going wrong. But you've cut it. That's why it's gone wrong, because you've cut the cuts. So people can't go and have a one-to-one with their school counsellor because she doesn't exist anymore. Mm. How are you trying to make it about education is the cause of this when you're taking the cuts from it? Mm. Algie, Algie, you can talk about stop and search. Uh, Algie, I put the same question to you again. What, what do you think the solution yeah. to the problem surrounding knife crime is? I mean, is it is it more, like I said, stop and searches or more youth work or educating the kids? I think it's giving back to the community what they took away, man. The youth clubs are things. Stop and searches are joke. Yeah. It's alienating the kids and the teenagers. They're not getting to talk to people at all. Like even the police, like they used to be able to walk around and they talk to people. People knew who they were. I don't know one police officer nowadays. I don't think none of my grandparents do either they used to know all of them by name mm. so little things like that bringing the community back together and making it a community rather than forcing people apart mm. and making you stop on the road in front of everyone and searching them because they're not going to want to talk to you after you do that mm. they're not going to want to say a word you know what I mean? so we've got to find a better way to bring them together and bring them youth clubs back and social events things like that you get me yeah I mean you both love Nottingham right I mean this is why you're talking about people you want to bring them together I mean that's why you want to make a change you want to make a difference yeah um, um yeah I mean me personally I'm not just doing it to Nottingham I know I was I was born here 
and this is where the crimes have happened in Nottingham, which, which makes it personal. But it's not just for Nottingham. It's made changes in the criminal justice system. It's to make changes for the council sentencing. Mm. It's to make a change as a whole. We're going to start off small. We are going to start off in our own city because that's where we live and this is where we will be and this is where our future generation are going to live. Mm. So it's always about taking that little small steps that we're going to have, that we're going to do, and then we'll broaden it out to places like Birmingham, to Manchester, you know, to Liverpool. And it's about filtering the system to make it better. Give nothing on the community back. That's is it. Like, it's just, it's just dead out the city. Is. And what I'll say to you, Algie, as well, I mean, again, you love Nottingham, right? And, and that's why you want to make a change, make a difference. What are your reasons driving you to be doing what you're doing? I've lived on both sides of Nottingham. Um, so for me to bring Nottingham together and make them both understand each other would be perfect for me. That's why I want to do it. I want people to be able to understand each other. Yeah. Um, I don't want there to be no divide or no division between people. Yeah. But that's what's what it is right now. If people don't understand people, then we'll always be having these violent crimes and things will always be happening. Mm. So uh, that's what we need to do. In fact, my five-year-old said to me the other day um, when he had to put on a T-shirt, you know, when he just said he was standing up for his mama, and, he, and I straight explained to him that it's to make people who play out a bit more safer, that they're nicer to people. His words were, kind hands, kind feet, kind words. That's mm. just as simple as it is. And that's what us, as a city, needs to remember. Kind hands, kind words, kind feet. Mm. And that's from a five-year-old, and that's what they're being taught in school. Mm. Be nice to each other. Do you see kind words? You kindly all the time. Mm. It's just so simple, but we don't live like that. No. We live in a world where we need to hurt people with our words. We used to hurt people with our hands, and we need to hurt people with our feet. Like violence is the answer, but mm. it's not. No, no. But I mean, there's always going to be some people that don't understand, and there's always some people that can't understand. I mean, it would be a beautiful place if we got the whole world to live in harmony and understand you know what some of us have been through what you guys have been through and understand that it's come from you going into prison because of the situations that you've been and that can't always be helped can it I mean a lot of the people that are in prison yeah they've done bad things but they're not necessarily bad people now and there will always be a stigma attached to them and I think a lot of kids have led sheltered lives they don't even know what guns and knives are I mean especially areas where I live where I go at the local youth club I take my DJ kit down there to the youth clubs the teenagers are really well spoken and they don't even dream of swearing that much let alone cussing you and I think that's brilliant to live around here for my children personally because I've seen it from the inner cities it's a completely different story and you've had some experiences with like those kinds of kids as well haven't you obviously it's a better there's a better way but there's also a downside did you think inner cities are really different to rural sections of the UK I think um to me, I've always been in the city, but when I've been out to the rural areas, it's like they don't understand me at all. Like even though I talk to some people, that's why I've kind of had to adapt the way I talk to people. Um, they didn't understand it, the road talk and things like that. Yeah. And then when they come down here, they've automatically got a stigma of how it's going to be. Like they hear about St. Anne's and automatically my area is the worst place in the world. And to me, it's not. It's one of the closest communities in Nottingham, and yeah. that's the truth of it. Yeah. But people didn't know that because they're not in there. They just assume from the area that the area is about St. Anne's that we, we don't assume that. We have to go there and find out first. Mm. So I think that's the difference between the two people. We'd rather find out, but they'd rather assume. 
Mm. Do you think there's a happy medium though? Like, you know, kids can be street wise and educated, but they can also be a little bit wrapped up in curtain will and be innocent? Or do you think it's one or the other? Or do you think, like what Sherilyn was saying earlier, I'm, I'm kind of exploring the fact that you could have a really bad, rough life and you can still end up doing okay when you're 25, 30. So does, it, does any of it really matter, do you think? Or? I think the, all what matters is that you instill the right values in your children. Mm. I think that's what matters. I think if you instill the right values in, the cho- in your children, then no matter what path they're going along the way, they're going to find themselves on the right path. Because mm. I was instilled with the right values by my elders. I just didn't accept it because I didn't want to accept them into my life because of losing my parents. Mm. But because they did instill them values in me, later on in life, I've turned to them. But I've always also lived by certain morals, what they did teach me. Yeah, me so mm. I think just instill values into your children and they'll live right if they can. I mean, you were running a knife awareness course, weren't you, with 16, 17 year olds from an area, and you asked them what an amnesty was. Do you want to tell us about that story? Sure, <laughs> 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 What did you say to them? Did you just say, What is an amnesty? Do you know what an amnesty is? that what you said? And someone said, um, it's a festival, <laughs> which I know there's a festival called it, but they assumed that like, oh, the amnesty was just a festival. What was the other one? Someone said something that was just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it was all ridiculous. Uh, there was all the, all the answers. There was not one answer what was actually correct. They didn't know what the, a knife amnesty was where everyone handed all their weapons in. They didn't know. No. So what kind of <clears throat> impact does that have on you having young people live such sheltered lives compared to what you guys have been through? I mean, do you find that eye-opening or do you find it shocking? It's, it's shocking just because... Yeah. Do they not have a TV in their house or is it just switched on like BBC Parliament? Or do you just watch Desperate Housewives? Because mm. that, that, that BS is a real evil. Yeah. So it's just a bit like, do we not in the, live in the same society? Do we not live in the same country? The shocking part of it is, and the disgusting part of it is, and the insulting part of it is, is that when we spoke to these children, they were bored. Mm. There was one girl, she had that bored, dead out look on her face like, this doesn't happen to me there so they were bored and it's an insult it really is an insult yeah there's a major difference isn't there between inner city kids and, and what I think of I, to me though because obviously I've seen both sides I, c- I can see in a way because I want my kids to grow up in that rural area because I don't want them to be near the inner city stuff because it is pretty horrifying at times I think there is a bit of a happy medium that they need to be aware of it's not just happening on TV like you said darling it's not just TV this happens on this is real life and I think that's where people's empathy becomes developed you know like you were talking about your son's emotional development and things i think emotional intelligence and emotional development only happens by having experiences sometimes though i think it's difficult though because i can see why these parents want to protect their children from it all because it's like well, you can't protect them from yeah. it doesn't yeah. matter if you're poor or you're not poor or you're rich yeah that per- the person who holds that knife doesn't care if you're poor the person who take who takes that stabbing they don't care they don't care where you come from class doesn't come into it yeah. when you're holding the weapon yourself or you're holding that gun mm. or if you're shot in drugs that's the difference they it, class doesn't come into it so why should we be segregated why should there be a division between upper class and lower class because i don't consider myself lower class i consider myself to be upper class because i've had a good upbringing mm. 
So we shouldn't be we shouldn't be pulled down from that. And it's like you I touched on something that you said earlier with these um, the prisoners in there at the minute. The people are too judgmental and they're too shallow minded. They need to bear in mind that these these people are committing crimes for a reason. They're, they've got a story, but nobody wants to hear that story. Nobody cares about that story. All they care about is what they read and what sentence they got, and then they've got something to say on it. Mm. But why don't you take yourself out of it and put yourself into that situation? Because you can't. Because you always think that's never going to happen to you. One day, whether you've got a million pounds, you're going to wake up broke. You're born into this world the same way. You will leave the same way on your own. So people need to realise that it's not about class. You should be all te- taught the same thing. Yeah, I agree with you. We touched on this with algae earlier, and I talked about it and music and things. And, I, and sometimes I think TV has a little bit to blame of the way that people view and see society. Because when people are in these areas, they go home and all they do have is their TV as a source of knowledge. I mean, if you had to change a few things about things on TV and things in the media, what would you do? I think with the reality TV shows, mm. um, most of these soap operas, soaps what are on TV, what just portray life in the way it's not. Yeah. It's, just, it's just not real, you know. Anything was just. I just think things need to be real. If you're gonna have a reality TV show, have a reality TV show. What shows you the homeless out in the street, and a documentary. What's gonna show you something about life? Mm. Yeah, I mean, we're not seeing that on TV. Yeah. We're not even hearing much about it on radio nowadays. Radio is all about these, this new music, which I'm not talking about the drill music. I'm talking about the repetitive music we on the radio. Was to me mind numbing. Mm. It just numbs the youth. So I think they're the kind of things that need to go. Mm. What about you, Sherilyn? What would you change on TV and radio? What would you change? The same, it's the same. What Aldi said. Reality TV. I mean, look at Love Island. You've got all these girls, size zero, size four, plastic boobs, fillers. Who looks like that? Who looks like that? Because I don't look like that. So they're portraying as a role, they're role models. Who are these people? Mm. But I give props though to EastEnders because they did obviously the thing with Shaquille, the knife attack on him. Yeah, that was good though. Yeah, so they use real people. They use quite a few heads though from Nottingham still. So big props to them though because for that, I felt every bit of pain because how they portrayed it is the way it is dealt with in real life. Yeah, that so was a big touching, props to them. Yeah, touching episode that was. It was quite haunting, wasn't it? Because they had all the real mums and the parents and the people did, being fed, yeah. standing as the coffin And it, and it was out. good because they, that is what people want to see. Yeah. Not your Channel 5 live scripted debate, not your little Love Island size 10 little girls like <laughs> don't do nothing wrong, but look at EastEnders that was real that's the yeah. first time that a, a soap has ever done something like yeah. that where they've used real people and that was just to celebrate obviously Ben and his 10 year anniversary so big props to Brooke yeah, big props for all of them it was good I mean talking about music music has got me out of very dark places growing up and it's kept me going it's also been rewarding how's music helped you I mean Sherilyn and Aldi if talk about music music makes you lose control <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I mean I, I love music anyway like jamming in the car my son loves music he loves he loves everything that's you know that's that's relevant but then he likes twist beats do you know what I mean so I bring him up on good old school hip hop do you know mm-hmm. but but you know when you're in prison oh wow you got to wait three months for that CD so you listen to the same dead art CD but yeah <laughs> <laughs> same dead it is the same dead art 
someone's got it, everyone else has got it. So it makes you more appreciative. What about you, Algie? What? What, 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 I'm a rapper, so music's always been an escape for me, even in jail. I just sit down with my writing pad and I can zone out the world. Mm. So, to me, no matter what my music's been about, because it's always been about my life, that's always been my escape. So I think we've just found the solution to the world's problems. I think we should all agree that music <laughs> is the way forward. <laughs> yeah, it's the way forward. It always has been, man. Seriously, I'm My music's loving it. Let's just put some good music on and play it and all come together and dance and I think everything. Oh, to me, that's what makes everything okay. That makes everything. We'll all get yeah. into a hot You should have sang at your audition then. <laughs> I should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> we just all flopped hard on that audition. But nerves got me. Yeah. I can't, I can't lie though, I did feel a bit gutted when I'd got four no's. <laughs> no, we should have. We have, we've got the answer that we should have signed. We should have signed to them. Yeah, yeah. definitely. What are your top you three? Song, I could have <laughs> what, what are your top three all time tracks? What are they? Mine are Method Man, yeah. All I Need, yeah. um, Music Soul Child, um, Just Friends. Yeah. And I'm gonna have to say that I was thinking something else earlier, but you know what? Um, the most beautiful thing in this world, Keith Mori. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna try and dig that one out and play it. Sherilyn, what's your one? What are your three tracks? Um, you know what? I can't really pick three, but if we're doing all time, right? I'm gonna go with any U2 song because that was my mum's favourite band in the whole wide world. So I'd be it'd be U2, any track by them. Um, and I love, who do I know? I love, I love, you know what? I love everybody. I love everybody's music. I like Drake. I like, I like speed. I like all sorts. I'm not really, not really one. Uh, do you want to tell us about what's going to be coming up for you guys? Um, <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about real life issues and um, we're going to have real debates. Um, but not just about knife crime, um, about everything what's going on in Nottingham and England, around everywhere with the justice system, the government, even like, you know, mental health and issues like that, domestic violence, things yeah. that are affecting people. Mm. We're trying to hit them issues in reality though. Mm. So we're trying to hit people and make people be able to talk for themselves mm. rather than told what to talk about. We want people to be able to speak. Mm. So that's what we're gonna be doing. We're going to be the voice, uh, but not yeah. just that. What we're, what I've proposed to do is I've just been greenlighted for. Is I've got my own knife awareness program that will run through Nottingham Probation. Brilliant. So, in, so in the new year, I'll be facilitating because I'm a G, uh, <laughs> my own knife awareness because I've been I've been asking for this since since I came out of prison. Why don't we have this? like look at the city that we're in and I was always told no and then I had a meeting with probation top of probation the other week and they were like yeah okay let's put it together that's brilliant so, that's brilliant so, yeah and you're going to be visiting hospitals courts other cities you're going to be getting involved um, and you're also going to deal with um, the current increase in violent crimes aren't you You want to, that's what you want to do I mean all of this is so that you can hopefully bring violent crime rates down it's not just about bringing the violent crime rates down, it's about showing these people, these textbook warriors, 
what the community can do, what yeah. we're willing to do, and how far we're willing to go mm. to, to show the people, our people, our Nottingham, and the rest of the other cities, because we're all relevant to one thing. We all want the same thing. So it's just about being that front line to say, your job that you're doing, you're going to fail because you haven't done anything. There's no, been no prevention for God knows how long. You've got organisations that have been set up. Oh, I'm doing this and that. But you've got two people being stabbed on your doorstep. So we're, what, what prevention are you doing when it's on your doorstep? Mm. So it's just about showing that us as a community can actually make a bigger difference and make a bigger change than what you're going to do. Because pe- the people... Everybody, whether you're from Nottingham, whether you're in London, everybody wants to hear people speak, not 20, 100 grand a year people speak. I'm just going to ask, who are your favourite local Nottingham DJs, bands and musicians right now? It will be DJ Fever. Uh-huh. He's quite big right now. Um, artist-wise, definitely Kane Ashmore, um, Jay Gold and Gully Smith. Okay. That's, that's my list. So you've mentioned as well to me before about Nick Stead. Can you tell us about him? Yeah, Nick Stead is a producer. Um, he does a lot of community work as well. He's an amazing producer. Yeah. Um, on my work back in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, he's definitely someone I'd recommend people to look into. Nick Stead's music is just amazing. And I saw a video you did as well. Was that the Rethink group? Um, yeah, I'm with a group called the Rethink. Um, we're more political. Um, not political, more talk about politics from the lower class view from our view yeah. so people can understand how, how it affects us and how we see it rather than yeah rather than hear what they hear on the TV they can hear from a real viewpoint of what, how it affects people from our places I thought it was really good I loved, I really loved it I loved the visuals I loved the audio the beats I don't know who have produced it but like the beats were wicked like and obviously oh that's Blue Book yeah, Blue Book's amazing who is that? Um, his name's Blue Book, um, Brad Gardner is a um, graphic designer as well, mm-hmm. video producer, music producer, but he's, he's, an, old, he's an old school b-boy, yeah. um, in that kind of sense, where his, all his music is like, nah, he's a boom-bap era, mm-hmm. that's the kind of vibe he's got, and yeah, he's he's amazing, but he don't really produce too tough no more, he's more into the graphic designer, oh, he's good. but if people want to get to him, they can. Yeah, well, give him a shout from me, and if you're listening, honestly, your beats are sick. So big up, yeah, definitely. definitely. What about yourself? Just a blue one. Yeah, definitely. What about yourself, Sherilyn? Who's who's doing it for you in Nottingham right now? Um, just a couple of my friends that I've known them since since school. Uh, so we've got Birdie Mac, uh, MC Birdie Mac. He was just out in. I shared his video that he did some freestyling in New York when he was there last week. But he's a sick MC anyway. He's a sick MC. Yeah. That. Uh, and then um, I've got my old, old, old raver friend, Dirty Joe. So he's more old school hip hop, like underground. So he, but he's he's sick though at, at producing, making music. Like he's really good. I love them. I love them both. They're great people. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on my show and talking about matters which are close to all of our hearts. I mean, I'd love to talk about it more. And um, we have discussed this for over an hour, so I'm going to put an extended edited version up with the, practically the full interview up on SoundCloud and for download. And then the edited version down to half an hour is going to be played live for us. So for those who want to follow and find out more about you guys, what are your social network links? Uh, mine is Brushes and Bleach, um, and 
just my normal Audrey Williams um, Sherilyn yeah mine's Julie Hope for Others and United Impact you can follow me on Insta Snapchat Facebook <laughs> I'll make sure all the links are up with everything. Thanks so much for joining me. And don't forget to watch us on our YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll be watching you. I'll be watching you. It's You'll be, be on it. It's going to be big. I can't wait. It's going to be big. And many fans. We're going to turn it around on you now when we come on September. So then. Oh, Hello, welcome. Oh, Please, no. get through to the auditions. We're going to be big red buzzer. Uh-uh. <laughs> But many, many thanks. Um, definitely keep in touch. I'm so like pleased to have met you, and I'm so pleased that our paths have crossed. And um, I wish you both all the best for 2018 and beyond. You too. You're welcome, man. Big love. Blessings, yeah. Big love. I want love, man. Blessings, man. Yo, yo, what's up? This 
is your boy Harry Shotter and you are locked on to misrepresent on the award-winning coollondon.com. Absolute fire. Let's go! Mm-hmm.